This podcast is sponsored by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. For more than 45 years, the writers, editors, and growing experts at Acres USA have cultivated information about modern farming practices that do not rely on toxic pesticides and toxic herbicides. We share that information through our monthly magazine, our online bookstore, events around the country, and through online articles and podcasts like this. If you're a new farmer or have been farming for a lifetime, you know there's always more to learn. New research into soil life, gut health, and nutrient and mineral applications are changing the way we look at farm management, and the most important part, the future of our soil. At Acres USA, we are committed to finding the experts to teach you these methods and practices. Learn more at www.acresusa.com or by calling 1-800-355-5313. Folks outside the U.S. and Canada can call us at 970-392-4464. If your business would like to advertise or sponsor the Tractor Time podcast, spots are available. Contact us today to find out more, and thank you for listening to Tractor Time. We are in a revolution, but it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Good day and welcome to Tractor Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Slabaugh, the General Manager of Acres USA, and we are excited to bring you another fun hour of conversation about ecology, agriculture, smart farming, human health, and more. Uh, I want to thank you, first off, though, before we get to our guest today. We recently went over the 20,000th download as a podcast, which is very exciting for us. The world of eco-growers is always larger than we anticipate, and to us, that means things are changing for the positive. We hear so much about degenerative agriculture and its toxic toll on our world, but there is a silver lining to all this, and it's you, the listeners who are fighting tradition and convention with smart growing tactics by spending time and understanding the soil. You are the solution. And slowly but surely, we're making progress. And it's really important that we all agree on that one. We may not agree on the methods to get there, uh, how fast we can get there, uh, how uh, orthodox our approach needs to be, but we can agree that when we work together, we can make progress, even if we go to that same solution a little differently. And that's why it's important to agree, because we have challenges, and we know they're large and complicated, uh, but if we don't have that base level agreement that we want to get to that that earth and all of its resilient life, life forms will tell us what we need to know to grow our food, then uh, we're probably going to be swinging a little more wildly than we want to. Uh, and we need to listen to each other. So uh, I really appreciate you spending the time today listening. I uh, would love to hear from you. You can reach out to me always at gm at acresusa.com. Shoot me a note. Let me know who you want to listen to, who you want to reach out to, who you want to hear from on the podcast, and what you're doing on your farm, backyard, growing operation, CSA, whatever you're involved with. We'd love to hear from you, uh, hear your stories, and uh, and share them on the podcast. Uh, anyway, all right, this high horse is getting tired, but um, uh, to summary, you are listeners, you're the silver lining. And uh, one of the brightest spots on that lining is going to be our guest today. Uh, Daniela Ibarra Howell is a native Argentinian, an agronomist by profession, and has more than 25 years of ranching experience. In 2009, she was called to help start the Savory Institute, headquartered down the road in Boulder, Colorado, from our offices, and became its CEO in 2011. Since then, she served on initiatives as wide as the UN Global Impact Study and uh, 
a number of roundtables and think tanks uh, about healthy food and healthy agriculture, and there's too many to name. Uh, Daniela will be a big part of Acres USA in the next couple months as well. We're really excited about that one. Uh, she will be speaking at our annual conference in Louisville, Kentucky, December 4th through 7th, and keynoting an evening there. She will also be featured in a November issue of our magazine with an interview with Chris Walters. And of course, we're really proud to have Daniela Howell on the Tractor Time podcast today. So all that, stay tuned. You're going to learn a lot about Daniela and the Savory Institute coming up. Uh, welcome, Daniela Ibarra Howell, to the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Ryan. Thank you so much. And where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Boulder, Colorado, where the headquarters of Savory Institute are, are based. We found you at home uh, for once, I'm guessing. So you definitely need to help quite a bit for, for the work with the Savory Institute. Do I have that right? That's right. Okay. Um, well, let's get started, I guess, to give some background. For those who may not be familiar with Savory Institute or familiar with yourself, um, would you be able to kind of tell us about the Savory Institute, the work it does, and, and how you got involved and how you started it? Yes. Well, the Savory Institute is a global organization. Uh, whose mission is to uh, advance and facilitate the regeneration of the grasslands of the world through holistic management. Uh, the, of course, holistic management is the work of Alan Savory. That's the name of the organization. I uh, have 50 plus years of uh, in the making uh, all over the world. But in 2011, in 2010, when we founded it, and in 2011, when we decided how do we begin accelerating this work? Uh, we designed a model of, um, of a distributed model of impact, which is hubs around the world. So we have partners um, uh, in every continent and many states in the United States bringing holistic management as a decision-making framework and with all the planning processes tied to land management and farm management uh, to farmers and ranchers around the world in their own context, executing within their own ecological, social, financial conditions, so to be very, very relevant and permanent. Uh, so it's been a great journey so far, and, uh, and I'm very happy to be part of that network. Uh, Alan Savory's got a quote I saw, in a, and you had him on a slide in a previous presentation when I was, when I was doing a little bit of research, believe it or not. Um, he says, ultimately, the only wealth that can sustain any community, economy, or nation is derived from the photosynthetic process, green plants growing on regenerating soil. Uh, could you walk us through that? Is that, that seems very uh, much at, at, at kind of the backbone of the Savory Institute and, and, and seemed like an important quote. It is. And, um, and what Alan says, and I think every farmer understands, is that uh, the fact that there's a few of us farmers and ranchers producing food and fiber for the world so the world can do other things that are important in building civilizations. But if that piece fails, if our interaction with ecosystem processes, with our land, with our water, with our nutrient cycle, with carbon, um, with the diversity of life on our planet, if that relationship fails and becomes extractive of, of the land and the environment and we decrease the ability of these photosynthesizing plants to tap onto the only source of free energy we have, the sunlight, that can then feed all the rest of the food web, then we're compromising our, our economy. So farmers and ranchers have an amazing responsibility in their hands in terms of making sure that through producing food and fiber, through feeding and clothing the world, 
uh, we are at the same time honoring and enhancing uh, the ecosystem processes that sustain us. And so um, we need to get good at it and we need to get better at it and, um, and uh, understand more deeply uh, what it means to run a business within the, um, within the context of our own financial and social and cultural constraints or, or opportunities, uh, but never ever compromising that uh, true wealth which comes from um, the soil and the plants that uh, grow on them. That's, um, it seems like that's kind of flipping it on its head a little bit that right now we put all the value on the, the product that we're getting, the milk or the tomatoes or the corn, uh, not necessarily on the process that it is growing in. And I'm generalizing, of course, but uh, it's like really what the Savory Institute is trying to do is really put a value on the process of growing our food. Is, is that another way to put it? That is. That is. And actually, you know, we, we believe that so much industrial agriculture has put the, the focus on the output. Uh, that it really um, just made us lose sight of the fact that output should be the outcome of underlying health. And uh, when that output is simply an outcome of just creating ways in which we um, put whatever is needed for that output, even if it extracts from the health of the land or the people, uh, then we have a system that is not quite working. So we're refocusing on paying attention to what it means to, to pay attention to those ecosystem processes that sustain us, not only physically but spiritually, and also um, the processes tied to human well-being and health, and uh, making sure that the financial models within which we work are also um, conducive to local economies that are very resilient and very um, and very uh, fed by their own uh, their own people and I think any solution that goes any global solution to the issues of uh, food security and global climate change and the water issues that we're facing will be addressed at the local level in the context of the global needs, but um, but looking at those underlying uh, principles and, and processes that bring true wealth into um, into the businesses of farmers and ranchers and us as consumers, right, in our choices to make sure that those are the things we're supporting. It's a good question, and, and I was going to ask you about that, but I might just ask you about you that now is, is uh, Regenerative farming and ranching and, 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 and these keywords, they mean a lot to farmers um, and, you know, holistic grazing methods and, and, and farmers are very interested in this. But what is your uh, experience? Are consumers talking at that level yet or do they need to talk at that level or, or, or kind of what basic concepts would you love to see at the consumer level uh, get, get to that point? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if we have a lot of our consumers and some, some folks don't like to use the word consumers because it defines us as consumers right. and they, you know, they talk about citizens and they talk about, but, but us as people, as the common folk out there, each one of us going to make um, decisions um, either growing our own food or buying. Most of us are buying food somewhere. And unfortunately, we have no connection to the source or the impact that that food has or, or fiber, in the case of natural fibers, has had on, on the environment. And that 
really feeds back into our quality of life, right? Climate change is something we're all experiencing despite, you know, what, what uh, our personal choices are. So, so it's the sum of all those personal choices for which those personal choices need to be informed. And I think we are not informed enough. We're not educated enough in terms of uh, the impact uh, of the uh, of of the way our food and fiber are produced uh, worldwide. And so the more we get closer to that and the more we understand the impact of it, and not just from a point of view, emotional point of view of, you know, of course we want things that are fair, we want things that are good, we want good treatment of animals, we want good treatment of people, and that I think there's a lot of really good programs out there uh, trying to bring transparency in the consumer uh, space, but also in terms of impact on the land, biological diversity, uh, soil organic matter, soil organic carbon, the connection with climate change, the connection with our water cycles. Uh, there's a lot of disconnect, and where you don't uh, connect, you don't understand, you don't, you do not love, you do not act accordingly. So. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we are disconnected as consumers and misinformed and undereducated, uh, and we need to change that. So it's, um, it's the responsibility, I think, of all of us, as consumers, as citizens, as farmers, as brands, as retailers, to tell the stories, to tell um, the, the deeper, um, to have those deeper conversations and then bring differentiation in the marketplace so uh, people can, can vote with their with their dollar, with their purchasing purchasing decisions at the at the supermarket, or produce their own food if they can. Right. Uh, some some simple labeling, uh, and I know labeling is such a hot topic these days, uh, especially with, in the beef world, uh, and really helping yeah. the market and educate the market. But it, it does seem like uh, there's some very simple things that we could do uh, to help educate without really spending a lot of time or money doing it. Um, do you, is, is, is that about right, or is it uh, is it more complicated than that? Well, I think it, it, it's very complex. So um, more than complicated, it's just so complex because it takes everybody coming on board, everybody uh, doing their best, the capacity needed to uh, produce those outcomes, you know, in terms of managing those underlying processes that will hopefully bring that abundance and then differentiating. And uh, in the case of Fable, we're trying to differentiate via measuring outcomes, which is something that we always have done as farmers around using holistic management because looking at what's happening on the land informs changes in management, informs adjustments and replanning that needs to happen, holistic management, is about planning for complexity. Uh, so the, if you don't observe and monitor very closely what's happening on the land, what's happening with your, uh, with your animals, with your finances, you cannot quickly shift and adjust to, to the, the current conditions. So um, monitoring has been at the core of holistic management and, and the practices that many farmers and ranchers around the world have been doing for, for a long, long time, we observe. And, uh, and so now how do we package that data in a way that resonates, that is um, holds integrity, and that can differentiate producers that are doing the right thing, not necessarily to punish the ones that are not, but to learn from them and feedback into the others, you know, there is an opportunity, but also to get 
citizens and consumers to begin understanding, well, if I buy this big versus that one, I am supporting a design and a system that is doing good for for the planet, it's doing good for my community, it's doing good for wildlife, it's doing good for health, and all the aspects that we're concerned about because we have uh, seen the impact of uh, degenerative agriculture, degenerative agriculture into our lives and, and, and the planet. So I think it's, it, it is relatively simple, but it's very complex. It takes time, it, ten, ten, it, it um, takes commitment, it takes uh, having skin in the game. It takes investment of time and resources to get to do things right, to get to measure those things, to educate our consumers. And it takes us to get out a little bit of our habits and ask deeper questions about, um, you know, the, the food we eat and, and the impact on, on our communities and our, on our land. I just want to take a quick moment and remind our audience that we're listening to Daniela Barra-Howell from the Savory Institute, uh, and she's the CEO and founder of the Savory Institute, uh, calling in from Boulder, Colorado today. Um, Daniel, you were just starting to talk, uh, you really just kind of established that we, we might still be in the proof of concept mode a little bit, or at least part of it is, or at least that's part of our conversations, especially with farmers just coming across this idea or, or wanting to learn more about this idea. Uh, could you give some some anecdotes? Uh, I know you worked early on uh, in places like Patagonia, and the Savory Institute has people working around the world. Uh, could you give us some anecdotes of, of kind of that proof of concept? But how do you get a farmer? What is that first conversation with a farmer, or, or how does that work to really uh, talk to them about this idea and introduce this idea to them? The idea of holistic management? Yeah. Or the, yes, overall. Well, you know, um, farmers and ranchers are... are very knowledgeable of their resource base. And sometimes um, weather, markets, or other pressures makes makes us, you know, make decisions or choices that are not conducive to that long-term um, sustainability and hopefully regeneration of our underlying, you know, resource base. So, um, so we've gotten a lot, you know, um, um, we, we have we we have let um, those those quick incentives dictate how we address not all of us but how we address the management of our resources and we become very oriented and focused on uh, solving a problem or meeting um, you know getting a, a specific price premium on the marketplace or fitting the request or the requirements of a specific brand and. Um, and we haven't uh, spent the time to define how do we really need to work within a much more complex context that takes into account the short term, the long term, uh, the health of the land, the health of our communities, the health of our family, the future. So our decisions and our management uh, continues to build uh, both in social, ecological, and financial, um, you know, uh, simultaneously um, aspects short and long term. So the, the way we approach um, working with farmers is usually the farmers have a need when they come to either the Savory Institute or our hubs. They come with a need either we want to produce more, we want, you know, we're, we're not doing that great, we want to be more resilient, we, you know, we have our kids, younger generations wanting to do things a little bit different. 
how do we go about it? Because there's really momentum and desire to be regenerative and that you have seen the regenerative conversation around things. I think mainly 2015 is when the world started realizing that agriculture has a very important role to play, both as a contributor to the issues, global issues that we're facing, but also as a solution to those issues because we're managing day in, day out, we're touching and managing soil and ecosystem process in the process of um, producing our food and water, our food and fiber. So we have impact on water, we have impact on climate, we have impact on economy. So um, it has been elevated. I'm so excited to see even grasslands. Mm -hmm. A few years back, we're not even part of their agriculture or climate conversation. Now they are all over that conversation. So that is very, very exciting. So now, you know, all of us want to be part of that regenerative movement. We know we can do better. So they would go to, to a hub, a leader, a solutionary in, in the regions and say, how can I learn more? You know, the Gate Grants, the World Services, all these folks, the Joel Salatons uh, that are in the United States, they're the same all over the world. You know, there are others all over the world that they may not have that celebrity status, but they have all this wisdom and knowledge. And, um, and so a farmer wants to know more. And so they approach these solutionaries and we take them through a process of identifying uh, their own context, the things that are important to these folks to live by, the things of really deep values that, you know, will, will sustain their quality of life uh, as they wanted, and then what their resources need to be, look like far into the future and their own behaviors. So we look into all these aspects of health. Um, and, uh, and then we have specific planning processes that uh, we uh, as farmers implement and, and help other farmers learn and implement to bring the complexity of those, uh, the ecological and the financial and the social aspects into uh, the planning and the design of the structures and the strategies and the goals that you uh, put for your own business. And then you make sure that you uh, begin implementing skillfully. If you don't have those skills, then you get those skills. You know, it can go for a young farmer from uh, learning from the work of um, Bob Williams on, on the first animal handling or specific things about soil biology and microbiology. Whatever needs to be learned, the idea is to be there to support them in the learning and connect them to the resources. Some of those resources are already exist in a region. Just connect them and empower, equip them to do the best they can do and, and get better and better at it and monitor closely and get better and adjust and always um, uh, continue to move into this new way of doing things that include a lot more planning, a lot more observation and monitoring. And, uh, and we see that from a conventional situation to a fully holistically managed regenerative situation, there is a transition and the importance of, of holding hands, you know, among the producer networks and with their resource bases to make sure that that transition is done in ways uh, that are not too impactful in terms of finances or, you know, there's always a dip when you, when you change things. There's new habits that need to be formed. There's, you know, not only you as a human, but the land as well and the animals. So there's always this little dip in, in performance and, and we try to support that that uh, to not be the case and that transition to be smooth. And then it's just, it makes sense. There's no other way to do it. 
um, when when you get into the habit of of doing it that way. I appreciate that. That would, yeah, I think uh, there's a, and we hear this all the time from our audience as well. And I do this even personally in my own life. Is there's all sorts of changes you want to make, but it's it's actually making that change is the hard part. Um, yes. Taking that first step and, and finding an advocacy group like the Savior Institute to come in and, and guide uh, the decision making sure does add a lot of confidence uh, to the decision making process. And, and that first step, uh, you know, is there a group that you worked with recently or in the past that you feel like is a really good example that others could follow out there, or it, whether it's a, a single farmer or just a, an area of the world? There's all kinds of great examples, uh, Ryan. The problem with examples is that we tend to want to copy those. <laughs> and those things are so contextual. You know, practices and ways of doing things are very contextual. Even within the same region, two families could have totally different contexts. One may sell their products in a farmer's market, the other one directly into the you know, commodity market. Or one could be a family with you know, 10 kids working on the farm and the other one be a, a, a widow, um, you know, running the ranch. So the context, one may have an inheritance, you know, in the bank, the other one may have two pennies in the bank account. So um, each situation will demand that the, the, the decision maker takes all these things into account and see how can I make a decision that builds my resilience, that builds my um, ecological wealth, my social financial wealth. And so, but yes, there are tons of amazing examples we have um, in the United States, of course, of course you, you know, Will Harris is one of our hubs, and he has done an amazing job in bringing not only health back to the land, and we have metrics that show how he has been building soil carbon, soil organic matter, and diversity in the land, in, you know, the, the plant diversity and the microbiology of the soil, but he has designed his whole uh, uh, farm business and enterprises to be very, also very diverse and very resilient. He has turkeys and he has um, beef and he has pork and he has all these layers of entrepreneurial um, activities that bring resilience to the financial side and also complement each other on the ecological side. And then he has built this also amazing community that works on the farm and he has his own slaughterhouse that's vertically integrated. Now he's talking with, you know, the, the, the monsters of, of the of the market of the brands and informing these brands on how to truly source from regenerative producers. So he's an amazing example of what can 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 be done. The same Joe Salaton, you know, in the United States and, and less known but all, also amazing. We have hot you know, in different states of the United States working on dairy and on beef and on, on, on wool. But we have this amazing group of producers, a co-op um, in Sweden and Norway of sheep producers that are producing these beautiful woolen products from the wool from their regenerative farms. And uh, we have a small community in Turkey in the Anatolian region uh, uh, turning around how beef is produced in Turkey, going from feedlot to going back to the land and bringing youth back from Istanbul that have fled the countryside and now coming back because they want to be part of the solution and getting into permaculture and holistic management and all these really cool ways to build health back, not only ecologically, but for them financially and quality of life. You know, we're finding young people want to have better um, 
better um, lives and, and more connected to nature. And it's not so much about pushing, pushing, pushing to make money. It's about to be, to be balanced and, and, um, and find purpose. And we're seeing a lot of young people coming back to the land and wanting to learn how to do this. We have groups in Australia that are quite amazing bringing land to market, which is our program now for differentiation of the producers in the marketplace, bringing it into a design that is a co-op design as well, in which all the producers put skin in the game, and we're all going to build a brand that is going to be so authentic and so good, and we're going to be, you know, informing our consumers about it and, and educating them and being part of this big change. So uh, Patagonia with Ovis 21 on their, on their wool, fine marina wool production, you know, having conversations with Eileen Fisher in Patagonia. And so, um, there's a lot of amazing flywheels, notes of, um, of momentum, and each one is so unique. And, and if you go to our website, you can find all those spots. Uh, in the in the map, and you can connect directly with them and go and see what they are doing. Of course, the Africa Center for Holistic Management has for a long time been restoring land and working with communities around. So it's a very different context in which we lack a market uh, pool, but we have, uh, as a result, communities that are lifting themselves out of poverty and rebuilding that ecological wealth that sustains them via their food security and water security. Kenya, an amazing work that is being done with the Maasai and the wildlife and the Mara beef uh, that is uh, also a vertically integrated, differentiated, um, um, you know, outlet for, for the markets in Nairobi. So each one of these are amazing in their own right, very contextually different, um, very unique, creative. Uh, that's where the human passion and uniqueness, you know, shows uh, different outcomes, but following the same principles. That, uh, I was just reading about your, your work in, in Kenya and the Maasai. And it seems like there um, there's a lot of comparisons to even ranchers in the West and the United States and the challenges they're facing there of, uh, using uh, traditional methods and, and 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 being challenged by that by modern agriculture as well as uh, land use and just being challenged by conservation groups um, who are coming from a little different aspect than they are uh, for how they use the land and, and being able to work with those conservation groups to also protect their way of living while also making sure that uh, um, wildlife is protected and, and conservation groups also have a say. Uh, have you been involved in that side of things at all? We have by, by our partnership with them. They are having in Kenya. Uh, Lipa and Tarquin are two young, amazing entrepreneurs at the helm. Uh, Moses is part of their team, and it's a Maasai that has been the voice that reconnects all that culture back to, again, a context. Most of our, of our conflicts come when we start looking at, uh, at the, the problem, right? The problem is livestock, or the problem is um, poaching or the problem is um, we want to conserve and we want to make sure that people don't don't you know mess with the wildlife habitat or what you know whatever that might be when these people come together and see and understand what they all really want and what is needed to support all of those values we go back to the basics of we need to heal and regenerate the underlying sustaining uh, systems and processes that make 
wildlife habitat possible, uh, agriculture, uh, you know, uh, possible, and the abundance of all those outcomes as a an outcome of um, of all those processes being done properly. The social and cultural aspect you cannot just you know dismiss uh, cultures that have evolved in that area for so long. How can we all come together, understand what what we need deeply um, from from you know from our values and our needs and our and our um, really long term uh, investment in ensuring that those um, uh, systems will be operating and, and working effectively far into the future, socially again, ecologically, and knowing that as a result abundance will emerge. And when the context becomes that rather than the problem, um, you see people coming together and working and learning and, and creating amazing, amazing uh, things. And that's what has happened there. We continue to learn, of course. Uh, but the moment we get out of the way of, of you know, trying to shoot for a an objective or a goal, and that's the whole idea behind decision-making and the framework, is we expand our context to take into account all social, ecological, and financial, um, you know, health that we need to make things uh, happen. And then objective structures, goals, and strategies are designed in line with those um, underlying processes that we need to nurture. So it has been an amazing journey, not without a lot of learning and challenges like all journeys are, but again, pushing back all the time, pushing back to what are those um, principles that we need to foster through structures and programs and designs that we're putting in place. I like that a lot. How do we how do we talk about the solution, not the problem? I, I like that a lot. The uh, and and you mentioned I, I I don't know if I read this somewhere on your site or something, but uh, more than a million people live in a, in grassland and pastured communities around the world. So uh, it's not like we don't have a critical mass to be working on this uh, of, of affected people um, uh, to find a solution. Are you finding that groups uh, when you're in whether it's uh, the United States or Argentina or or uh, Kenya, are you finding that uh, those groups are are open-minded and they're and they're 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 able to uh, execute what you guys are teaching them even after you leave at that point? Yes, yes. Um, it, historically, what we have found is that there was more like that that um, traveling prophet, you know, model in which right. someone would go and talk and then leave, and people would get excited and go build a bunch of things and then. You know, hit reality. It's almost like, you know, you want to change your lifestyle and you just grab a, um, a diet from somewhere sure. and uh, and decide to try it. That doesn't change it. You know, it requires so much more deep change. So that's why we decided to uh, work with the hub model in which there's more capacity, local capacity, relevant capacity. Um, more entrepreneurial, a lot of our uh, educators and, and people that are that love to teach this work, even if they are farmers. And actually, farmers are what Sidoli um, uh, would call product people. They love to do what they do. They love to teach. They love to do. They love to farm. But uh, they may need more business, finance, or marketing help. So uh, the Sidoli that I mentioned, Ernesto Sidoli, talked about the trilogy of management, having the finance, marketing, and the 
on the product expertise or, or acumen in all business units. So what we found out with the hubs, would, they would bring a little bit of that finance, business, marketing um, acumen to the farmers and the producers in, in the region based on the context and the challenges that that region is um, uh, facing. And in some cases, it's very market-driven. In some cases, it's very tied to the work of NGOs and institutions and governments, like in a lot of the African countries. So how can we change things, you know, the design of things to allow for a really self-sustaining design that will bring about long-lasting change? So what we find is that with that um, more permanent, ongoing um, force of change in one area, um, there's uh, there's more momentum and there's more stability and there's this um, ability to work with the farmer. The farmer, you know, is now a friend, is someone is, is someone you, you know and you're supporting and you're ongoingly holding hands until um, until that farmer feels that they are able to fly solo in this new way of doing things. But there's always the resource of you know running a business. There's always new situations, always new challenges. And have the ability to have a local network that understands those challenges and can come together and use a framework that is solid to design how the new um, the new step or the change or the adjustment or the replan needs to be. Not just for one farm now. Now it's for a group of people that are trying to move the needle. And so we have found that there's a lot of success in this model because it creates community around the common. Um, desire and the common context, shared context of making things better, more resilient, more uh, strong for everybody. And even we're seeing very philosophically aligned market partners, brands and buyers of these products that are coming together um, with a different dialogue, with a different narrative about where we're willing to invest in you so you stay in business doing for a long time uh, what we need you to do so we can meet the needs of our consumer base. So it's cre it's creating these really these amazing communities that we hope to continue to learn from and continue to infuse as we begin working in other regions of the world. This it sounds so uh, old fashioned, quite honestly. But it's a uh, uh, and that's what we I love about it is we knew this model this model worked for for a long long time, right? Creating that local knowledge base of farming uh, locally and not uh, uh, depending on on Google for for what you're doing in your field at that point. Uh, a lot of when we survey farmers, uh, almost 100 percent of them come back and go. The only real way to learn that they trust is to be in the field with another farmer who's showing them something. And I'm guessing you guys probably have that same experience with your 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 customers and the farmers you're trying to help too. That you really have to be in the field with them for them to learn. Is that is that right? That is right. That is right. And uh, and that's part of the Saber Institute strategies to demonstrate. And we don't demonstrate ourselves in a vacuum. We work with our hubs and their producer networks to create laboratories to create um, you know learning sites in which. We learn and we see what's possible, and then we are able to share and um, and use those as you know uh, demonstration sites. Not in terms of this is good or, or that is bad, but in terms of demonstrating what is possible and pushing the limits. And knowing that we don't have really a clue 
uh, the latent potential of our landscapes at this point when you start working with them uh, properly. We've seen, you know, like in Patagonia, species that were born that hadn't been seen, species of, of grasses that had been gone, perennial grasses, for 20 plus years. In my time in Patagonia, I'm Argentinian, I started back then, and some, some, you know, Patagonia was desertifying, was a big concern, and, uh, and some perennial grasses are coming back that haven't seen, haven't been seen for 25 years just with a change in management. So we don't know what, what the potential will be. And, and that's what we learn when we get together, when we get on the land, when we can imagine what can be possible if we design around those principles of ecological health. And what happens that is so awesome when you get, you know, the boots on the ground and people working together and coming together, it's also this cross-pollination of ideas and desires and dreams and knowledge and skills that just, you know, makes you realize you're not alone. You have a community, you have an, a very committed community of farmers that are committed to um, not only doing it for their own business and their own uh, sustainability and their own survival, but they are doing it because they deeply care about their communities, about how they see the world, about the health of, of uh, the consumer, and about a lot of things that, you know, even conservation organizations care about. We have so much more in common than we have not. It's a matter of uh, getting, getting, a, getting, getting out of our own way and learning how we can do it together, because the only person really that touches day in and day out, the soil, is the farmer, right? The farmer and the rancher are all the time interacting with that, and they can create abundance for everybody, or if all the incentives are misaligned, or the uh, capacity is not built, uh, going in the wrong direction, and then we all lose. That, well put, thank you for saying that. I. Uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier, and, and you know this idea of trust. You know, and you, that's kind of what you were talking about is really just working together and being able to trust each other. And one of the nervous points of nervousness that we hear from uh, quite a bit at our conference or as I'm uh, traveling around the country is um, they all know that big business is going to get involved with this pretty soon, and they're already involved with this. And then they're spending millions of dollars to uh, capitalize on the growth and interest in organic and an interest in. Um, the local food movement and local food, uh, and it makes them nervous. Uh, should they be nervous, or, or what's the best way to work with those? You know, I'm, sure, I'm sure you guys work with, with you know large brands too at some point. So what's the best way to work with those as they as they express interest, but perhaps have been more in degenerative farming in the past? The million dollar question, Ryan. I know it makes me interesting. <laughs> and uh, and the thing is, they play a big role. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, they have big structures, I believe, big, thick structures that are um, designed with volume and efficiencies of scale in mind, and that may be counter to what we want to do, because sometimes we don't want to create volume, we want to create quality, and we don't want to create efficiencies, because what we're trying to do does not have inherent efficiencies of scale. Um, and so how do we make sure we don't compromise those things because those are the things that are building the wealth and the resilience both socially and, and ecologically and uh, hopefully in the long run financially. So it's like we have a big system that is very, or structures that are very um, 
unlikely to accommodate uh, the regenerative agriculture. So, you know, the, the, the principles of regenerative. So what they are trying to do, I think they're very well-meaning uh, individuals within these organizations, and they are trying to bring about change. And what they are uh, doing, the ones that we're working with, are working very closely with smaller, more innovative, more designed for regeneration uh, type of brands like Epic, who is one of the brands that have supported us even before its acquisition by General Mills. And they want to do the right thing, and they are small enough that they can come closer to those boots on the ground, learn what the needs are, see really what does it mean to be regenerative at the farm level, and then measure those outcomes and then say, you know, I can authentically tell my consumer that this product came from a land that is regenerating uh, with all the complexity that that entails as well. But they are trying to do that. Now, the, the, the moment uh, a bigger, um, like a General Mills or a bigger brand buys those smaller ones, will that DNA continue to be the one that marks the interaction between the producer and the brand or not? And that is the big question. Uh, so far, what we have experienced with these brands, they are interested in helping uh, the advancement of capacity building and measurement at the farm level. So they have supported uh, farming training and farming onboarding in terms of um, measurement of outcomes, the ecological outcome verification components of the land market program. Uh, with the idea that they may or may not source, they are trying to source, of course, but they see that there's obviously a mismatch between the, the, the amount of, of, of um, verified products out there in terms of, of land outcomes and their needs. So they are letting it be. They are acting a little bit of like early angel investors, and, uh, and they want to make sure the world knows that they are investing in that, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I think the biggest thing will be for producers to come together in their own regions and identify more resilient ways to, to go about it, because now these producers will be uh, sequestering carbon in their soils. They will be improving water water cycles, there will be metrics that show that these producers are doing really good things. And that may be things that um, the market may uh, be interested in, in terms of insetting or offsetting, in, not necessarily as, as part of the supply chain, but as part of supporting a value network that is doing things that they want to support. How that interaction is going to be, I'm not totally sure yeah. in the future. But the importance also is to remember that we have our own brands as, as producers. We have regional brands. We have uh, small, very philosophically aligned brands that we can interact with. And just as in nature, we would want lots of diversity, uh, age, structures, um, many different species, genetic diversity within species, because in that, the land is more resilient. We want the same for our business. We want to be able to sell to a consumer, to many brands. And if we have some things we cannot place anywhere, maybe it's a big brand, but not be dependent, fully dependent on any one buyer because then we bring vulnerability to, to, to the system. 
So it's part of the design also in the marketplace for which we need to look at the whole supply chain processing, distribution, and other things. And that is what hubs are trying to do with their own producer network mm-hmm. and, uh, and figure out where investment from these brands or from outside, from all kinds of impact investment or institutional investment, where can money be put to accelerate the sign of value networks that bring resilience and abundance and continue to promote the right outcome. That makes a lot of sense. And when you when you when you phrase it like that, that it's really about establishing that value network, um, it makes a lot of sense because if their suppliers are more resilient, then their business will be more resilient. So they do have a built in incentive to use uh Smart agriculture as their as their resource uh, and their supply line. So uh, they do have a built. Now, will it be more expensive for them? That that gets into a whole different complicated uh, set. And will there be the the supply that they need at the end? But it does make sense that finding that common value line is is uh, where we got to start at the very at the very least. So uh, it's too easy to pick apart our differences at that point. Um, so I I respect that a lot. Well, uh, guess what, Danielle? We're getting pretty close on time. So I was gonna I got a couple right. got a couple more questions for you. Uh, one was really just to talk us about what's next for Sabre Institute. What are you guys looking at for the next, you know, year or two, or however far ahead you guys tend to look as an organization? Uh, what, what's what's coming down the line that we should be excited about? <laughs> well, um, you know, our criteria, basic goal is to have a hundred half by twenty twenty five, influencing you know a billion hectares of land. Um, so we're working towards that. We're around 35 hubs around the world. Uh, many of them are in the United States. Each one is working with farmers and ranchers, bringing these, you know, flywheels of regenerative uh, tools and knowledge and support and, and, and solutions in their own context. So we want to continue to support the ones that are already working, established. Uh, they are in themselves a business. And so making sure their business are, are well-designed and supported by uh, Savory Institute and their partners. But And the, that network uh, of, of hubs are feeding into each other and supporting each other just like a network of farmers would do in any one region. So that will continue to do uh, where um, uh, and, and continue to grow. New, new regions in the world, we have a full strategy, so we won't go anywhere that that there's no, I mean, we, we would, wouldn't push ourselves, but whenever leadership arises in any one region and they come to us and they say, I want to be a force of change for agriculture in my region and I want to do it through understanding holistic management plus all the other amazing tools in the, in the space, um, please, you know, let me be part of the family. So we, there's criteria. We select the ones we think are ready to take on the challenge and we work with them for around 18 months to get them ready to hit the ground. So we, we will continue to do that. And um, so that will be one of the, the main focus areas, as it has been in the past, to continue to grow and continue to, to build the health of the network, which I believe is our biggest, most amazing asset of just the network of amazing people and their producer networks turning around um, uh, the face of agriculture. So that will continue to be one. The second one, we have um, inherited a grant um, from another organization, a local organization here in Colorado, and uh, we look forward to making out of this 
ranch outside of Denver, the West Beach Ranch, currently under um, 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 bison grazing. We have around uh, 400 head of bison there. And we want to create also a, um, a campus for training, an incubation place where people can come and try and do and, and bring good ideas and create a learning place for the front range in Colorado in collaboration with our hub in Colorado, the Gold Harbor Institute. So that will take a little bit of our time, but we'll hope that the Colorado hub will take the lead in in making it all it can be, but it will be an international center of learning, you know, that, uh, in which we are actually doing the work and, and see how the land market can also be implemented in the front range or at least, at least in the front range or in the whole of Colorado and see what we learn that can be fit back into the whole network. So those would be two areas of, uh, of work and of course the land market will Beast on its own, uh, will continue to spend tremendous amount of time uh, making sure that the design of the land market uh, keeps the integrity of the intent and um, and puts farmers first, like it's always been, and learning. And um, hopefully, uh, the outcome will be a tremendous amount of data of people that are doing amazing things on the land that can help us understand a little bit more. Uh, the impact of uh, holistic land grazing, holistic decision making, and um, and regenerative agriculture altogether. Wow! Well, you got me excited. That's uh, we're only just down the road from that uh, your your future campus and learning center. So I can't wait to be able to check that out um, when it is open. And did I hear that right? That's a billion hectares by 2025. Is that right? 2025, yeah, a billion hectares, and then, you know, everybody holds us accountable to that, but the idea, that was a big period ago. That's when we said, you know, we have 5 billion hectares of rangeland, grasslands in the world, and uh, how do we even start? So we said, okay, let's take the first chunk, 1 billion, 100 half, influencing 10 million each, but we know there are some that will influence 10 million, some will not, will maybe influence, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand, but will influence a lot of people. It's not the same working in Patagonia or in the Maasai Mara or in Australia than it is to work in the New York area, for example, or back east, or, you know, where the farms are much smaller, but you're influencing a lot more people. So the idea is let's shoot high, let's do our very best, and let's see when we reach that tipping point what can happen. Our guest today, Daniel Labarra Howell, uh, started the Savory Institute, or helped start the Avery the Savory Institute in uh, 2009 and became a CEO in 2011. I usually ask our guests a question, uh, one last question is, is, why do we have hope or why should we keep doing this work in the future? But I think you just answered it that uh, you're out doing it and you see such great potential and you've set these huge goals. Uh, there's no way to go but to go accomplish these goals at this point. Um, but uh, why? I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you anyway, but why should we have hope and, and why continue the work going forward? Uh, Danielle? Well, for me, we cannot not do it. Um, you know, we have kids and we have people uh, around the world that are facing every day uh, the impact of climate change, the impact of um, um, structures that are extractive of our human soul and uh, joy. We have disengaged employees. We have um, 
all kinds of, of, of metrics uh, in our society that are telling us we may need to redefine what success and abundance is, and we may need to go back to um, understanding, deeply understanding the role of our ecosystem health in sustaining us spiritually and physically and our own um, our own well-being. And so there's no choice but to do it um, and continue to learn together, try new things, go back to the to the basics and and be courageous to say no to what we believe is not conducive to that underlying health and forget a little bit to feed the outcome from, you know, artificially out there on, 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 on one end and remember that uh, outcomes are the, um, the result of the expression of underlying health. So let's work on that health together as humans on the land as we feed uh, ourselves and uh, design the future of, of this beautiful world we have. I love that. It's worth putting on a poster, I think, at some point. Um, I'm sure some people are going to want to get involved or uh, want to reach out or ask some questions. What's the best way for them to find out more about the Savory Institute? Go to our website, savory.global. Find in your region if there's a hub, there's a map there with the, the, all the hubs. Those are the solutionaries in your region. If they are not, learn more from you know us and and start your own hub in yours. Uh, it will take a lot of us. It will take all of us to turn this around. And, and I think we are all you know we have all the knowledge spread out that we need. To, uh, to change the course of agriculture. We, we do have it. It's a matter of now committing to it and equipping the next generation and, and even these generations to do it right. So, um, so go to our website, find out, get in touch, uh, keep on learning, keep on talking, and uh, I look forward very much to seeing you later this year in Kentucky. Perfect. Uh, again, that's savory.global, www.savory.global. Uh, you can find all that. It's a beautiful website. You can find everything uh, you need there and some contact information as well. Uh, Daniela Barra Howell, thank you so much for being on the program today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ryan, very much. Again, that was Daniela Barra Howell with the Savory Institute. You can learn more at savory.global. Uh, if you're interested too, you go on over to acresusa.com, uh, check out our offerings and what we're doing these days. We got a lot going on and we got a lot uh, that we would love to include you in, including events and conferences, new books coming out, uh, our, our monthly magazine. We also have a free blog site. It's not really a blog. It's really long form articles that will help you farm at ecofarmingdaily.com. That's ecofarmingdaily.com, all spelled out. Uh, so we're, we can you can find us all over the place on you can find us on Twitter on Instagram on Facebook uh, you can find us in Greeley Colorado if you stop by our office too so thanks again for listening uh, really appreciate it have a great rest of your week happy growing and hope everybody's harvests are top notch this year.